friends, welcome to episode 231 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? I'm pouring tea. Yep, you are. It is a good day delicious, for tea. Delicious, delicious tea. Yeah, although it's still, like, hot outside. It's, how are you enjoying the 85-degree Michigan weather I went out uh, and this fall? tried to level my backyard after doing all the tarot that I did. Yes. Yesterday yeah. in the heat and humidity, oh, and I was like, yeah, "Good luck." It's October. Why am I suffering? What is that in Celsius for our European friends? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. E five F two C is roughly uh, it was about thirty degrees Celsius out oof, there. So oof, that even sounds worse. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I don't know how, but it does. O- October third, it hit thirty C. So yeah, yeah, uh, which is not common at all. Like we should be having highs in the 60s here and like lows in the upper 40s yeah yeah and and rainy we should have our first frosts at night and stuff like that oh god yeah Yeah. oh god yeah we are definitely not getting those and we put the air conditioning back on the other night so we can sleep well i and i've been just adjusting the temperature a little Mm -hmm. bit but like i haven't turned the heat on yet Mm -hmm. which is kind of weird so yeah yeah yep so that's kind of where things are at right now. We're still in a standstill on some things, but you picked up a new book. Yeah, uh, so just on a whim, um, we went out to our favorite Mexican place the other day, which just happens to be Caddy Corner from our our, our local game store. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, hey, you know, I mean, why not? We'll just pop in real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I happened to see on the shelf they had a copy of uh, Star Trek Adventures by Mofidius. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, Sean and I have both been on a huge Star Wars kick. Star, Star, Star Trek kick. Wow. Like, wow. The comments. Like the, yeah, whatever. They're, they're all in the stars. <laughs> one's good, one's not, you know. Um, <clears throat> That's relative. So anyway, we've been, on a, uh, we've been on, a, on, a, on a huge Star Trek kick lately, uh, going through uh, Deep Space Nine. We're like five seasons deep into mm-hmm. it right now. And um, I've been, of course, you know, you watch that, you get inspired by mm-hmm. all the stories and stuff like that, and you start thinking like, oh, it'd be cool to run a Star Trek game. And then I happen to see this book, and I was like, you know what? I've been a good girl. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna pick this up just on a, on a whim, you know. Sight unseen. It's Mofidius. So we we've done Mofidius games before. Mm-hmm. Um, we reviewed uh, Dune, mm-hmm. uh, and it runs off of the same 2D20 system that Dune runs off of. Okay, okay. Uh, so a lot of that's gonna be familiar. Um, and it just seemed really nice. Uh, the the book very high quality. Mm-hmm. Um. Got it home, cracked it open. Um, nice glossy paper. It's mm-hmm. it's like I don't know, three hundred and fifty pages. It's a nice thick book. It's got mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of background lore in there and stuff like that, and uh, describes basically the entire Star Trek universe. Um, so you could step into it without knowing anything. You really could. You really okay. could. Um, okay. You don't. You don't have to be as well versed as myself, actually. You know, on on the Star Trek universe, um, it gives you a lot of those stuff. If you are. It's very easy to pinpoint where in the timeline you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it was after a short bit of reading in the intro, it was pretty easy for me to peg it right before Voyager starts <laughs> and right around season three of Deep Space Nine. Fantastic. Okay. Um, and I believe right around when Star Trek Nemesis happens. Movie was okay. when the Enterprise E is destroyed or something like that. Okay, I don't yep. remember some, something like that, but it, I I forget exactly what 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 happens along there those lines. But it's it puts it somewhere into the movies with uh with uh, yeah. Next Generation crew. Picard is uh is retired at that point. I do believe he's not a he because at one point he was a Grand Admiral for a mm. while and then he retired out. Something like that, yeah. And I think that was after retirement. It's right at, at the end point. of his yeah. career, anyways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but, uh, you know, it, it looked, it looked really good. Um, and, uh, you know, being that you and I have both decided that, uh, we're no longer running gigantic five-year-long campaigns. We're sort of telling not going to, we're going to try not to. We're going to try not to anyways. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of eyeballing this as maybe, maybe the game that I run after Savage Worlds. Fair enough. Um, cause I think, I think all of us would enjoy Star Trek, you know? There's a lot of us who know enough Star Trek to be able to slip into that universe really easily. Not unlike your, uh, Elder Scrolls. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, the same types of people know of it well enough. It's a familiar enough IP, and I, I think if I told you, oh, you're, there's three Klingons here, you kind of know maybe you're in for a fight, cause Klingons are, you know, tend to be violent, a violent warrior race. Like, yeah. Okay, cool. Like, you don't need a lot of prompting on that. I could go a lot deeper, but, you know. Yep. Nope, I'm with you. I'm do, with you. Do maybe, like, six games or something like that with it, you know? Yeah. Six, six to eight games in yeah, the Yeah, a the trip run? out and a trip back. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Sounds perfect. Cool. No, I, I like the idea. I think, I think it also helps you force yourself into a s- episodic design. Not only that, but I am bad at running space. Okay. I am, uh, I have tried running a couple space games in the past, uh... Aeon Trinity, mm-hmm. notably, um, and it just, I have a really tough time dealing with technology, hmm. just in general. Hmm. Um, that was one of the things that I really liked about Battletech, is that the technology, you know, you, you have that, like, dark age of technology that kind of, like, backed all the really super space-age, you know, mm-hmm. Star Trek-y sort of stuff off, so you don't have, like, instant solution tricorders for everything, you know? Right, right. And anytime um, you do have something that's like that, it is considered mythic. Oh, and yeah. like is protected at the highest of echelons. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So, Usually, it's it's a bunch of a bunch of rednecks with barely functioning battle mechs on the back ends of space. It's amazing. Yeah. There was a uh, a short story that somebody had written about uh, a miss jump mm-hmm. where a bunch of uh, it, it doesn't open with this, but the uh, the effective story was that a miss jump put them out in a uh, out in like a rim of Davian that was hadn't been communicated with during one of the war okay. attacks. Sure. There was a large space-based weapon from prior to the Dark Age hanging out uh, in orbit around one of the planets. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. effectively a, PP, a PPC the size of, like, a starship. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. And they I'm were you. and they were like, we need to protect <clears throat> this. Why? Uh, Star League-era orbital defense cannon. Correct. What part of that does not sound like yeah. it needs to be protected it, at all costs? Exactly, like, because someone's going to come here and want this. Yeah, I gotcha, <laughs> I gotcha. So they were trying to figure out, like, okay, well, can we even sell this? Who do we call? <laughs> right. Right? What do you do with it? Like, it's one of those things where you find it and you're like, I don't even know what to do with this. Like, exactly. And where, where do you take something like this? I can identify it's priceless, but right. beyond yeah. that. And, and because it's a failed jump, like, you're also someplace where there isn't Comstar. Yeah. So, like, how do you communicate at that point? With what HPG? With Correct. A, with, with what hyperpulse generator are you going to send a light speed message multiple light years? Well, they figured out yeah. how they were going to communicate. The last scene of it is them agreeing to fire off around in a very particular direction at a very particular, like, target vector. Oh, my so God. So that it would whiz through a certain section of space and basically people would be like, that's not a comet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, someone would be like, track that. <laughs> You've correctly identified it as not a comment. So, I thought that was pretty neat. <clears throat> um, so, we have a 202 show, because it's the first show of yeah, October. Yeah, first, uh, first, oh, first Wednesday spooktober. of the month <laughs> of Spoopy Scary Skeleton Month. That's right. Um, so, this this month, we're... Okay, so, 
Here's the thing. I kind of wanted to give a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of this. We've been doing a lot of disclaimers at the well, beginning of things. Yeah, but usually usually it's like a please don't be mad at me for this hot take. Mm-hmm. But this one is more of like a I think we're using the right term, but I am not 100% sure. First off, I don't think anyone uses the right term. I did a lot of research on those terms, and I will flat out say no one uses them correctly. That's fair. So. That's fair. So we are going to continue that trend of probably not using it correctly. It's our vibe, our choice. It's our mics. You don't have them. Uh, so <laughs> we're, what we're going to be doing is tonight is we're going to be talking about theme. Yes. Um, and so when we're talking about theme... Um, We've done this before. But, yeah. but it's been more than a hot minute. I want to say... I'm going to look back for just a second here because I had it in my notes. 200 episodes. It's yeah. Uh, our first time we talked about genre, style, and theme was episode 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is 231 for those yep, keeping yep. track. Uh, and then we talked about mood in episode 34, which was actually just talking about the ho- spirit of the holidays. Uh, and then in uh, 146, we, ju- we, we just did one. And I say just... That was 146. Yeah. We talked about gritty violence in stories, which talked a lot about theme. 90 episodes. We just did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's okay that we're coming back around to this with some fresh perspectives. Yeah. Um, But we're also kind of focusing a little deeper. So, um, So when we talk about theme, we're talking about... A, a tangible thing, more than just kind of like how everybody's vibing at the table, you know, or even how the story vibe feels. Uh, it is a certain texture of the story itself. Mm-hmm. But it but it also has a principle to it, something tangible that as a storyteller you try to reconnect with. It's, it's not necessarily what is driving the mood of each one of the stories but, but it, it kind of is it kind of is it's it definitely should be a sticky note on your on your you know inside of your uh, gate gm wall right or, or just, like a, just reminding a... you that like this is the kind of vibe you're looking for <laughs> exactly because like if you're running a superhero story mm. right that superhero story still needs to have some kind of theme sure like uh X-Men in the uh, cartoon series really kind of focused its overarching theme on the oppression that the X-Men were feeling and mutants in general, regardless of the perspective of individual characters and the stories that were going on. That was the kind of overall Mm -hmm. theme that was being told. Um, Same with any of your swashbuckling stories. You know, each one of them has a different feeling. They're all set in, you know, pirates and, and, and things like that and high seas intrigue. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a theme that holds a a weight and kind of gives it direction. To wit, Mm -hmm. The Boys, Watchmen, Mm -hmm. and Superman Mm -hmm. are all superhero stories. They are very much, but they all have very different themes. Very different themes, very different vibes, very Mm -hmm. different different feelings and textures to those stories. And, And in some cases, you run the same theme... But you get very different feelings from that theme. There have been multiple versions of The Three Musketeers that has been released. Uh, by different, you know, all the way back through black and white to modern day, we've seen a couple different versions. They're all about the their same story, same theme of the story, mm-hmm. done in different moods. Yep. So the theme, again, just helps you have this kind of universal anchor point. To help you recognize where your story, the way your story needs to generally be. 
mm-hmm. the general principle. And a lot of those can be like uh, can be based off of basic motifs like redemption, freedom, equality, sacrifice, betrayal, loyalty, greed, justice, oppression, revenge, love. But that's those are very general terms to kind of get it uh, get it in a framework. Oftentimes, when we were discussing it, themes tend to be a statement, you know, um, and that that statement tends to be a much easier thing to follow than just freedom. Right. Something like, uh, you know, uh, any hero, even the mightiest heroes can be corrupted by power. Exactly. Or something like no person is truly beyond redemption. Yeah. You know, those are great. Um, and they, they, they definitely have a statement of what that theme should feel, should generally feel like that being said. Mm-hmm. The real question is, is why? Why is a theme important? What does what kind of reasoning does the theme give weight to? So for me, I think the most important thing to keep in mind about theme is that this is essentially the emotional layer of your story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the thing that's going to get your players emotionally invested in your story um, because it is it's that sort of intangible um the thing that speaks directly to their humanity right okay okay so when you're talking about themes of like redemption we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier mm-hmm. i mean all of us have screwed up in some way mm-hmm. and all of us have needed redemption mm-hmm. whether on a major scale or whether whether just on a minor scale mm-hmm. some of us have needed redemption with other people at the table you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and such like that. So when you when you start telling a story about redemption, there is an an emotional connection that all of us can make with a story about redemption that goes like, oh yeah, you know, this person's in this situation. I understand this person. I empathize with this person, and mm-hmm. they they did these things for these crappy reasons. They made some bad choices. Does that mean that they're irredeemable? No, they really should be. And you're starting to feel some kind of way about it. Or con- counterpointly, again, because there's you're not forcing the players to do that. You're talking about the redemption. You're setting that as the theme. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they won't be like, no, this person is beyond redemption. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'm not. I didn't mean to imply that we were you that, that you hand all of right. that emotional baggage to them. What I'm saying is that if you you present the theme where somebody is in a position where they might want redemption, they're seeking redemption possibly, mm-hmm. or they're in need of it, you know. It gets your players thinking about these things, mm-hmm. and that's just on one subject. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing is, you can have all of the good encounters, mm-hmm. all of the combat, the the evil bad guys and monsters that you want in your game, right? Mm-hmm. All of those things are just pawns in a board game, mm-hmm. without any sort of emotional connection to them. Yeah, you're just you're just moving your little dude around on the map. Rolling your dice and seeing if you do enough damage to take them off of the map. Yeah, I agree. It's not a story at that point other than a journaling of tactical events. Yes, yes, exactly. It is the theme, it is that sort of vibe that is going to give you the emotional connection with what is happening in the story. It brings the human experience into it. So that begs to ask the question, what if I don't have a theme? (laughs) I... I will flat out say very early in my gaming, I had cool ideas. Yep. 
and or a cool setting yep. or a bad situation, and that was my story. And that is why this is a 202. Correct. Okay, because this is not... This is not a 101. By, no. by By definition, it's not. But, um... We, this is not something that you would really expect new storytellers to be like walk in and be like, okay, we're gonna tell a story about how po- absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you're gonna pick up your you're gonna pick up your game system and you're mm-hmm. gonna you're gonna look through the monster manual or you're gonna look through the you know the 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 world building of it and whatnot. You're gonna go, oh, this seems like a cool you know, set piece to build upon and mm-hmm. you're going to do that and you're going to have a, a cool fight. You're going to have a cool villain who twirls his mustache and wants to destroy the world and everybody's going to punch him and then it's going to be good, you know? Yeah. You're you're going to have your megacorp who's trying to oppress people or hide some information and they're going to be super rich and so they're going to send super rich assassins after your guys to get that stuff back. Yeah, you're going to have your crew who just wants one last big score before they retire to an island somewhere. See? Exactly. Yeah. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Stories can come out of that without a doubt. But also somewhere in those stories, you may discover your theme Mm -hmm. coming forward. So we had a big discussion. We did. uh, While we were kind of putting this list together, and I was like, I need... I, I need to just say this. Like, I I don't know what the theme of my game is. Like, I am not taking any of the advice I am dispensing tonight. And you're like, what do you mean you don't know what the theme of your game is? <laughs> and so we dissected it. Yeah. And and I think that was I think that was the key to to helping I think both of us better understand how we were gonna describe this. Yeah. yeah. Because a lot of times you may not recognize that you have a theme even. Because mm-hmm. you didn't define it at the beginning. That's fine. Yeah. You can pick it up and carry it after the fact. Um, especially in longer campaigns. In in shorter ones, it's much harder and it's much more important to say it at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, to present it right at the beginning of everything. There's too, mu- there's too much chaos at the beginning because before you know your characters, before you mm-hmm. know your players, and before everybody kind of understands the trajectory of the story, and people start making some decisions mm-hmm. and committing to some de- you know, to, to some plot lines, it's difficult very early on to say, like, this is the theme and this is how things are going to roll out. Yeah. W- one of the my favorite uh, points that I did note was someone had said, uh, about theme was uh can you do themes in one shots or two shots and the answer is oh, yeah. technically yes but your players may not get it sure sure because um, even short stories are multiple are worth multiple episodes of any role-playing game mm-hmm. and they said do you think you could watch two episodes of buffy and know the theme and the answer is no no you really can't understand the full theme because you're only seeing two moments in a cascade of events yeah Yeah. and that's the truth like any series will show you that and that's a that's perfectly okay there's no one saying like hey if you're running a one shot you need to make sure the theme now get your feel right Mm -hmm. that's gonna be that that's the seasoning you need but your theme is gonna be hard to bake in that at that short level level yeah theme theme is something that's it's kind of a trajectory and Mm -hmm. if you only have one data point then you don't really have a trajectory yeah and so i'm just gonna say this is that uh, a quick dissection of your game sure i think is a good example of this so when we started our conversation earlier today um i i was asking you i was like okay when you started this game you knew elder scrolls yeah why did you pick the things you did 
So what, my answer to you is essentially that um, uh, I, I started off with some of my plots first, mm-hmm. um, uh, specifically the Poppy King plot um, that I've talked about right. multiple times before. Um, and uh, so some of the decisions that kind of went into that was, first off, um, I liked uh, in the lore of Cyrodiil, mm-hmm. it was kind of split into an east and west. They used to be two different nations, mm-hmm. Colovia and Niven. Mm-hmm. Niven, I think? Nibine, the Nibine Valley, something like that. Anyways, um, and but anyways, the, the the western part where you guys are is Colovia, mm-hmm. and uh, there's still an area up there called the Colovian Highlands. Yep. And uh, I was just kind of intrigued by um, by that, and just thinking of like, w- wouldn't it be interesting if there was someone who wanted to like, you know bring back old Colovia, you know, make it its own nation again, you know, mm-hmm. the South will rise again, sort of thing. Sure, sure. Um, so that was one, that was one idea that kind of went into it. Um, another was, I really wanted to do kind of an examination of Sheagorath, who's the Daedric Prince of Madness. Mm-hmm. Um, cause a lot of times, like in the video games, when you come across him, it's all just, Ooh, Wabajack. Oh, he's, I'm he's, crazy. he's crazy. I think I'm a glass of orange juice. Wee. Um, and I, I, you see a lot of that with like the, the Malkavians in, uh, uh, Vampire the Masquerade as well. Where yeah. People would just play them as wacky and madness, true madness. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, please do not understand, misunderstand. This is throwing shade at anybody with mental health issues. I have plenty of mental health issues myself. Um, but like true madness mm-hmm. is terrifying and yeah. destructive to everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if the Daedric Prince of Madness showed up mm-hmm. and got involved in and even a even a sliver of his power leaked into our world it would it would create so much horrific chaos mm-hmm. you know and i i wanted to i wanted to explore that as a um i guess as a theme you know and um of the destructive power of madness and that right there without recognizing mm-hmm. it fully implemented exceptionally well yeah because you did return to it again and again and without recognizing it, mm-hmm. you were driving a theme. Mm-hmm. And it showed up multiple times. You had great examples. You had uh, clean ways that it was presented. And the best part about it was even though we were we were adventurers who were <laughs> who had jobs to do the things that we were doing, mm-hmm. the Colovian Highlands was uh, and the, the 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 I guess the 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 quasi civil war revolution kind of thing that was going on there Mm -hmm. was more setting than story. It became part of the story and we could make changes to it, but just like any war that's going on, it's something that needs to be handled at a larger scale. Yeah. You're just experiencing a portion of it. Right. So really that wasn't a plot so much as that was your choice to set a tone of the setting Mm -hmm. around the players. The story still was about Sheagorath. Mm-hmm. And so in that, you gave us that flavor regularly, and it was well-seasoned. It came back again and again. Yeah, and I, I, I wanted to make sure that basically every single time you guys took a step further, the rabbit hole went just a little deeper. Yeah. yeah. Um, something just a little more screwed up happened mm-hmm. until by the time you guys were deep into the highlands and closing in on the bad guy, yeah. you were like... Oh wow! Yeah, you you took it from a little weird all the way to full stressed out. We're dealing with some crap here, mm-hmm. and that was great. 
it, it definitely rises it up. And I think you recognized your theme, whether you did it consciously. And that was that was a thing. Yes. Like and now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, of course, I was always following that theme, you know, of madness as a destructive force. And it just you know, wasn't on a sticky note in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. So but, you, you may, you may, you storytellers out there may do that. Right. You, I, <laughs> you and may it, not even realize you have a theme and you do. Yeah. And I, I'll say this much, at least for us, we've mm. been doing this a long time. We have been. Yeah. A lot and of this stuff that, is second nature. It, it just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when you watch a good athlete do something a million times, you ask them about the little thing they just did and they're like, the what? Yeah. You're like, that thing, like nobody does that thing that you just did, Mr. Jordan. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? I've done it 100,000 times and it's worked. Yeah. I don't even notice that I do it anymore. And that's the truth. You don't. Mm-hmm. Um, So we're going to try and break down some of those components so that you can steal them because you should. Yeah, I think it, I think it makes good. Um, Having... The opposite of that, where your theme isn't consistent, mm-hmm. like you had done, I think does a, a disservice to the story. It can make it very jarring. Well, yeah, yes and no. There, there's there's actually two aspects to it, I think. Okay. Um, I, I think it can be a double-edged sword, right? On one hand, you're correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you do you do run the risk if you have an inconsistent tone, an inconsistent theme, mm-hmm. okay? Um, or if you do something that is directly countercurrent to the to your think, established yes. theme, you end up with what we call tonal whiplash. Mm-hmm. You know, where it seems like you've got an established rules set it is maybe a bad word to use because literally all tabletop role playing games have rule sets. But we're talking about like the verisimilitude of your story. Well, I right? think it's a verisimilitude, but also just the unwritten story rules that are mm. out there. Like, you aren't going to just straight up kill NPCs indiscriminately. Yeah. That's not the story we're telling. We're not doing Titus Andronicus. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, so you you just got to make sure that the, the story you're telling is, 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 is consistent. So, you know, if... If you're telling a heroic story and even villains can be redeemed and heroes don't kill mm-hmm. and at the end of the day everybody is happy at the smile the smile on the end of, uh, on their face um if you then was like oh yeah and you walk in and it's a grisly murder scene and the villain is like ha ha ha, ha I'm a monster that's going to be like wait wait hold on a second that's not at all the type of story we were telling 5 minutes ago you know yeah well, it's going to feel very out of place yeah and whether your players know it or not, they're not going to expect it, and they're not. It, that's going to be a very grating experience for them, mm-hmm. um, because they've fallen into that that rhythm of wanting that heroic sort of story. Mm-hmm. Um, however, though, and this is why it's a double edged sword, because you can use strategic shifts in theme as a contrast. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can use them as the kind of wake-up call, the slap in the face, the hard turn, you mm-hmm. know, where if you need the story to pivot, if you need something to land in a very dramatic way where you want your players to understand that this is serious business now, mm-hmm. it then one thing you can do is literally tell your story in one direction. Make things wine and roses, make things very happy, let them be the heroes, save the day and stuff like that, and then drop a catastrophe on them. A uh, critical role 
with the, uh, with, with the, the dragons coming in and just leveling the city. 100% correct. The Chroma Conclave was exactly this type of move. Mm-hmm. Where it was, oh, you guys are adventurers. You go out, you raid dungeons, you kill monsters, you get money and magic you items. You took care of a big, bad problem. Yeah, you guys are you guys are pretty cool, and the sovereign of the city loves you. In fact, we're going to make you part of the city council. How'd you like that? Wow, guys, we're really moving up in the world. we got our own keep now. And what was that? And then unstoppable forces show up. One of five dragons shows up and vaporizes the sovereign who just gave you the position on the council and most of the council with him. Mm -hmm. And that's just the start of your problems. Yeah. You don't even get a chance to wonder if someone on the council may be evil. That's unimportant now. Exactly. And you've got your players at the table. It was great because I watched that in real time. I watched it when it happened mm-hmm. um, on, on stream. And, I mean, they nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what, like, where did any of this come from? Who are these guys? Why is why is this happening? You know, mm-hmm. what life decisions led us to this position? Like everybody in and out of character was just utterly flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. But it was exactly that sort of tonal gut punch mm-hmm. that made that scene land so much. If violence was the order of the hour constantly, they'd have been like, oh, cool. It's more dragons. Let's go fight them. Yeah. But, but it wasn't. Up to that point, it wasn't. Things yeah. had gotten a little serious, but who boy. Yeah. And and knowing that the dragons were an unstoppable force that the city could do nothing about. Oh, yeah. A city worth of defenders yeah. couldn't do a thing. And keeping in mind that Amman was like the capital city, too. Like, yeah. I mean, that is that is like, you know, playing a real world game in Washington, D.C., getting wiped off the map. You know, like like an Independence Day, you know. It was it was the scene with the UFO blasting into the White House. You know, Well, I just thing. I literally watched today, rewatched the scene from Animatrix. Mm-hmm. Where, like, uh, after the second revolution of robots, they show up, they sign at the UN, and they're like, give us your flesh husks. You you don't deserve them anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the thing nukes himself right there at the UN after signing. Mm-hmm. Like, I did the thing you care about. Goodbye. And wipes out, like, 10 miles worth of city. Yeah. 10 or 20 miles worth of city with a single nuke. And then that starts the war. Of, and it wasn't even a war. It's just them taking the humans. Mm-hmm. And it's insane, but at the same time, like, that had to happen. That yeah. was a shift that had to happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's strategic. You don't want to do it all the time, but if you if you if you if you do it strategically, it can really have a great dramatic impact for you. And I think that, that like you were saying, I think one of the most important parts about that or identifying whether or not you're you're even doing those rules mm-hmm. to help sit within your theme is defining that. So like at the even while you're trying to still figure out your theme, understand your story rules you're setting. Like in uh in my games, uh, I often make death something that is meaningful. Yeah. Like, it's not like I'm just going to throw monsters at you constantly. Like, I'm not rolling random tables so that you're fighting something every week, mm-hmm. and those things are pointless and meaningless. Like, most of my fights through most of my games have names. Oh, yeah. You know who you're fighting and why. You're making the active decision to do those fights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because... When death occurs, even in your visibility, it's something that you're like, okay, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why does this have to be done this way? Did this person need to die? 
Right. And and because of that, when those heavy moves occur, it is very meaningful. It's mm -hmm. crazy to you that there is a mob of people coming at you, mm -hmm. you know, banging on the door of the keep to try and come kill you. Like, I don't do that. You know who's behind that wall. It's like, okay, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it's meant to feel like when those moments come out. Um, and in your stories, as you're getting through, you will find that point. Yeah, sure. You know, maybe it is an aliens game, but not the high tension type. Maybe it's the, you know, we're, we're, there's just an overwhelming number. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's a never ending sea. Right. That's a, that is definitely a rule in a game to make your players feel like they can just laze cannon everything that they come across because, hey, we've got to survive. Yeah. Right? It's like treading yeah. water at that point. Exactly. Exactly. But that adds to the the whole theme that you're trying to put forth. I think one of the other big themes um, that you kind of want to look for is uh, how trusting can your players be in, oh, your, God, in, yes. in, your, in your story. Um life and death is definitely a very good a very good barometer mm -hmm. for for the tone of your story but like is betrayal a thing mm -hmm. can you know how gray are your are your are your characters you know do you have white hats and black hats or is or, it just people and monsters yeah or in in, <laughs> in is it is it just shades of gray you yeah. know um we talk a little bit about Elmore Leonard yeah, um, yeah. Uh, who wrote uh, justified the yep. tv show um Probably also recently saw uh, City Primeval re yes. uh, justified on uh, FX. Justified uh, Part Two. Part Two. <laughs> um, but uh, he also did um, Out of Sight mm -hmm. and Jackie Brown, yep. um, a few other a few other films like that. And he's a uh, uh, those are adaptations of a bunch of his books. And we really like his stories. Um, at least I really do. Oh, I think they're great. Where uh, because he's very good at establishing that there are like good guys and bad guys, mm -hmm. and his his even his bad guys still have a sort of gentlemanly swagger to them i love that um that is very compelling you know and there's there's a sense of honor among thieves mm -hmm. in most of his bad guys and when and when there isn't honor that is a notable exception and that puts that person kind of into that monster category right and, and i think to a degree that is the theme honor among thieves mm-hmm because the question is, is who's honorable in the thieves, who's not quite a thief, but I guess is now, is always a good way to look at it. And then who do they both agree is not, mm -hmm. who shouldn't be, or who doesn't have the common respect? How do you know Boyd's not going to put a bullet in you the moment you turn back to him? I wouldn't do that. We dug coal together. Exactly. You exactly. Know? Or or just the other thing of like, don't go in. She don't want you in the house. Yep. I've got a shotgun pointed at you. Boy, you haven't even racked around in it yeah. yet. <laughs> Get your butt out of here. Well, it'd be <laughs> kind of hard to take me down with the safety on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you know, and then you look. Oh, and you looked. <laughs> like, yep, and you looked, and that's when I broke your nose, and then I put you back in the car, right. and I said, now you go back home and you tell Boyd. <laughs> that's right. How do you know Boyd sent me? Of course Boyd sent you. Like, <laughs> Why the hell are you asking me for that asshole? <laughs> exactly. But that's the whole thing is, is that... It's that feeling that you're presenting, and if you can keep that theme that bubbles out 
it holds so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because Knox in the box puts the the, the gif in the uh, the, um, uh, yeah. in the live chat of you know they, of uh, uh, Wreck It Ralph Zangief from Wreck It Ralph. Yes. He says, I see <laughs> Zangief, you're a bad guy, but you're not bad guy. Yeah, like it, it's, it's kind true. of that style of character. So what what we're getting at though, because we we could go on about Justify, yeah. how how much we love Justified all all day, but the the, the point is though is that. That level of respect, that treatment of life and death, that treatment of of betrayal and such like that, mm-hmm. um, are themes that are consistent throughout the story. Yes. And when you meet someone and they they speak eloquently and they're like, oh, well, Raylan Givens, you know, Marshall Raylan Givens, I understand you have a job to do here, sir, but you also understand I have something I need to do. These are the types of conversations you can have in the story, and you can understand that that character will show that sort of respect, and that guns aren't immediately going to come out, and it's just not going to turn into an action murder, right? You know, murder fest. Exactly. Not to say that Raylan doesn't shoot his fair share of people. He does a lot of shooting. He does a lot of shooting, and he questions sometimes what he just did. But, but there's going to be some talking first, and you just know to expect that because that's the theme. Yeah, you know. as much as you would have in, like, Lethal Weapon, where the captain is always coming in, swearing at them, saying, you blew up another city block to save four cats. Like, mm-hmm. I should take your badges, you know. That's that's a, that's a the defining of a theme. You will always get in trouble, but somehow get away with doing the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you don't cross the line. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, until you do, at which point you crossed your line, turn in your badge and your gun. Like, <laughs> that was the wrongest anyone's ever gotten it. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the thing, is, is that you'll get praise right up to that line. Yeah, yeah. That's part of defining that theme. Just as much as voice acting or spooky music adds to the flavor of yeah, the sure. story, that I think... really adds some of, the, some of the dramatic tone. Yes. And yes. sets the stage... That the theme sits up, that that sits upon that theme, and and I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to start getting into like what you can do as the player to express your themes. Mm-hmm. You know, like how do you put this stuff into practice beyond just you know philosophical faffing about <laughs> the, the the moral positioning of your various characters? We wouldn't call it a workshop unless we workshopped it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's that's probably the quickest and easiest way to uh, to to, to mm-hmm. start indicating your theme. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, think of it like this. Um, you know, if I were going to tell a, a, a spooky story, mm-hmm. okay, a, uh, uh, you know, a, a horror themed mm-hmm. story. Okay. I, I could sit here and narrate the story to you like this about how as you guys walk along the path, you notice that things are warped and distorted and such like that. And then you get to the thing and there are, um, uh, things scrawled on the walls that are very disturbing. And then they, they, they kind of warp your mind and you're hearing sort of gibbering from coming from inside the, uh, uh, inside the mine. Or I can say, as you guys are approaching the path, you're noticing that the rail tracks, the rail ties are melted. But not, not in a way that is like liquid, but like almost like somebody used the smudge filter in Photoshop. They're warped in a way that is gross and unnatural. You might see metal or stone that has reached a high temperature and is dripped like this, but wooden ties on the rail tracks. As you get closer, you know, you can hear the tone of my voice 
I've lowered it. Mm-hmm. I've started putting more emphasis on my words. I've drawn my players in. Mm-hmm. I've I've kind of you know, since, forced since them lowered, to literally lean in. Yeah, because I'm using a lower tone and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, if you're using music, which I employ mm-hmm. regularly. I have several playlists set up on Spotify. Uh, a lot of it's video game music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of just um, various moods. And so I will have changed my Spotify playlist to something really... And I remember exactly the mm-hmm, track that mm-hmm, I used for this mm-hmm. one. Um, you know, that's a very easy way to just change your theme right there. To really enforce the sort of theme that you're doing. If you want something to be bright and cheerful, speak about it brightly and cheerfully. If you want it to be spooky, speak about it in an eerie, spooky tone. Likewise, and I'll I'll, I'll give to I'll, I'll give credit to Mad Elf, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, had uh, us in Mouse Guard. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a beautiful day, and we're on the trail, and we find this wonderful clearing, and we can see clear across to the other side, and we're like, great. We're going to make some wonderful time because we won't have any obstacles or whatever. And then he literally reaches over on his phone and pushes one button and we hear, and we're like, wait a minute, we're playing mice. That's a, (laughs) that's a bad sound. That is a bad sound. And so suddenly we get tense instantly. Yep. It draws us back to the characters that we are. And it was such a cool juxtaposition between it is a bright and beautiful day, the birds are chirping, to like, oh, wait, no, hold on, birds are our predators, birds are our predators, take yep. cover, take cover. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that is that is a hard change. Yeah, it really is. And sets the tone of what you're really doing on this adventure, why this is a challenge, mm-hmm. you know, and how to handle that. One of the things that I really want to do when we get our basement refinished, mm-hmm. eventually, you know, that... that nebulous future project that were set up the surround sound not only the surround sound but the philips hue lights oh you want to do to lightning and oh stuff. man do i ever mm-hmm. i have <sighs> critical roles current setup is my dream setup you know it's the current setup but by the time they get the next one you'll be like i want this like when i was 12 i was like oh you know what would be cool <laughs> I always want to do uh, windows with LED panels on the other side. Mm. So, like, I can just open the shutters and you see the world that you're playing in just outside. That'd be neat. Or rain hitting it or whatever, you know. That's the kind of stuff that that I would love to set up. Mm -hmm. Those kind of pieces, so. And apparently, with OBS, you can do that. (coughs) Oh, wow. Because you can broadcast to multiple screens. Yep. Yep, Different things. So, yeah, you can do some neat stuff. (laughs) Anyways, um... To step away from that, yeah. one of the other things that um, I think comedy taught me and kind of teaches me about this is understanding absurdity. Okay. And what okay. role it plays in storytelling and understanding what you – know, to draw your players to it. Sure. Um, one of the things that uh, you can do with when understanding absurdity is understanding that – Players and you have a common reference point, and comedy does this all the time. You tell a story about something that is serious, but you take it to such an absurd extension that people then go, what? And it messes with their mind as they're listening to it, because they're trying to connect it to their reality, not even the characters. Sure, sure, sure. So through that, your story can have, uh, can push that theme in a different way. Okay. So. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's start with something very simple. Okay. Uh, 
that we just brought up. Star Trek sure. is a great example of this. Uh, Star Trek doesn't have capitalism. Like, right. it, it, the Federation is moneyless, effectively. It's a post-scarcity society. They Correct. Money like, you, you just replicate what you need based on... You mean on... you don't get paid? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, in Deep Space Nine, specifically, the the idea of money comes up constantly. Gold Press Latinum comes up constantly. Mm -hmm. And what's absurd about it is that the main part, of the, the main setting of this world that we are all comfortable with is post-scarcity. And yet, as viewers, we're watching the absurd aspects of capitalism yeah. show up again and again. Not just are... not just with the Frengis, but just basically any time a a interaction with an alien happens. Yeah, you know, there is a there's a lot of capitalist you know sort of themes of like, well, I need to get this here, or I'm not going to get paid. Yeah, and and just the idea of hiring assassins and you know paying these people to do these things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of in our head is common knowledge but everyone else in that world doesn't get it right paid with what yeah and they're like why would you even do that it was a, it's a job i'm getting paid mm. i don't understand and like it's absurd like we're like of course it makes sense but because we're watching it through the lens of this other universe mm. that we're comfortable with it's suddenly uncomfortable and absurd to us so Having those kinds of moments, for instance, like in my D&D game, I didn't define any races as monsters. Yeah. There were no bad races. Even the dark elves in my game weren't bad. They were just a political faction. Just like any other. They were kind of assholes sometimes, but they were a political faction. So at any given time, I was always presenting you with another race or another group of individuals who were there doing something mm -hmm. harsh maybe even possibly inhumane, and you were making individual decisions based on individuals. Right. Because you had established a theme in your, in, your, in your story that people are people are people. Right. And it was futile in many of its designs with the way things were going, but some of the most intelligent people were doing, you know, intelligent races and cultures within it mm -hmm. were doing pretty logical political things yep which felt fine to you as a person but through your character's lens felt a little absurd in this setting it was like why is this going on this way right 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 but it felt but it was comfortable so that comfort to absurdity always was reconnecting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that again keeps the person engaged keeps the player engage with their character moving through the story and yeah. accepting it it's largely about juxtaposing what the player is familiar with versus what is happening in your world yep you know and and playing it differently than what they're than what your players are comfortable with Correct. but which is normal in mm -hmm. your world yeah it's a hard line to try and figure out in mm -hmm. every game but when you can find it and watch your players just kind of slowly grind at an idea and like, okay, I know what's going on here. I'm not comfortable with this because I should be comfortable with this. Right, right, right. It, you this know. guy's literally just paying for his coffee. But for my character, the concept of currency is weird. Yeah. It reminds me of a line from, uh, we're watching Star Trek Lower Decks. Sure. And... Uh, uh, Mariner at one point goes off on some tangent with this uh, with this archaeologist, mm -hmm. uh, uh, ostensibly a tomb raider, you know, sort right. of sort of woman, and she's like, uh, she's like, we are going to get paid so much for this artifact, and, and Mariner goes, whoa, 
I don't even know what you guys do with money, but that sounds cool. <laughs> that is that is fair. The the final part of that that kind of uh, that you can lock into absurdity is the fact that you can take things to an absurd level. Mm -hmm. So you can set a, a base tone of kind of like a general creepiness that's going on. Maybe there's a lot of there's there's a a tone of undead sure. right that runs through your game. You did this in your Demosia game uh, with a oh, very yeah. specific a thing. Ages ago, yeah. Where we're basically, it was kind of like an investigation almost uh -huh. of like, what happened? What can we do about what happened? How can we handle this? Well, they were they were searching for it. There was, there was four, I, I played a lot of a lot of Final Fantasy IV at the time. Sure, so sure. It was, it was the four elemental uh, crystals, sure. basically, they were searching for. So they were looking for the, the elemental seal of fire. Uh, and uh, they had basically gotten a lead that it was in this one particular place out in this jungle. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, up to this point, you've got a general theme of um, the world is a, is a fallen utopia. Okay. Sure. Things used to be perfect, mm -hmm. but they're slumping. The right. world is just getting a little bit worse, but it's not bad. It's not post-apocalyptic or anything like right. that, but it's just, there's, there's a bygone era that was that was wonderful, and now we've kind of got this. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's really not, like I said, not like a bad place. Not a lot of, like, really horrific things happening in the story and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and they go to find this, uh, this magical thing, and uh, there's this uh, mansion that they come across. And it's all overgrown and basically, like, reclaimed by nature sort of thing. They're like... This is a weird thing to find out in the middle of the woods, but mm -hmm. okay. I mean, it's been reclaimed yep. by nature. Who knows how many, you know, hundreds of years it's been here. Right. So they they find a way into it and such like that, and they're kind of using their, their magic to figure out where this, this, this artifact is coming from. And it's coming from the basement. And uh, they come to this door that is barred shut from the outside. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why would, you know... Why would you have a bar like to you bar things to keep things from, you know, coming through the door? Why is this door on? Why is this interior door barred shut? Mm -hmm. So they open it up and it's a staircase that goes down to the basement. And they're like, what did they keep locked in the basement that they didn't want getting out? And they go down to the basement and it is a playroom for a child. Mm -hmm. And suddenly my players are like, it's a what? It's absurd. It shouldn't be there. It's a playroom for a child, and they're like, they locked their kid in. And I'm like, you could draw that conclusion, yeah. Sure. Sitting in the middle of the floor is very obviously the ghost of a child just idly playing with dolls. And at this point, my my players are looking at me like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. What? What are we doing here? Yeah. Because <laughs> this, is, this is getting really spooky real quick. So one of my characters, who was kind of the people person of the group, goes and is like, I'll, I'll handle this. I'm good with kids. Sits down in front of the kid and is like, hi, um, my name's Janar. What's your name? And he's like, Billy. It's like, hi, Billy. Um, what, you, what you playing with? My dolls. And he's like, okay, can can I play with you? And... Billy kind of reaches over and goes to hand him one of the dolls and the head falls off of it. And it's very clear that it has been cut cleanly off like guillotine cut. Mm -hmm. And this 
this character kind of looks down at the at the, the severed head of the doll he was handed and goes, "What, what happened to this little doll? Why doesn't it have a head?" And the the ghost looks up at him and goes, "Oh, that's little Susie. She wasn't playing very nice." And suddenly everybody's like, "Oh, okay, okay." I, like players backed up, <laughs> like s- scooted their chairs back from the table. Yeah. Crawled up on the couch, yeah. like, nope, 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 and suddenly they understood they were they were in deep crap. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, I am playing some really effed up music, and there is a doll golem in the uh, uh, in the room with them that mm-hmm. is trying to kill them. Yeah, uh, so. It, it it went sideways real darn quick, but playing that like sort of juxtaposition of like, mm-hmm. this is not a horror story. Yeah. But here's a horror encounter for you, and I'm gonna ratchet that up to eleven. Yep. Um, is is a great way to just slap your players. But it's it's a direction to the absurdity. Yeah. To understanding, like you kind of saw it coming. But you didn't want it to be there uh-huh. when you got to it, and and it's those kinds of things that set the theme apart and give it flavor, give it mm-hmm. drama. Um, another thing that we'd brought up uh, that you you were quick to remember was the idea of calling cards. Yeah. Um, and a particular one is uh, musical themes. Yeah. That, that reoccur. So one of my favorite things in 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 cinema mm-hmm. is uh. uh... I'm going to mispronounce this because I've heard it pronounced about four different ways. Um, Leitmotifs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and a leitmotif is essentially when you have a theme song for a specific character or a type of event or something like that in music. Um, probably one of the best ones, best well-known ones, is from Star uh, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Okay. The the Force theme. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that, mm-hmm. right? Um, now... This isn't like the song that plays all the time when Luke is uh, is on screen. Mm-hmm. It happens often when he's on screen because it is a theme of the Force. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll hear it woven into John Williams's music a lot. And like, I I absolutely adore the soundtrack for uh, Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Right, you've got that big climactic scene at the end where everything's hitting the fan in Cloud City. Mm-hmm. And, like, Han is encased in carbonite, and the Empire is there trying to trap Luke for Vader. He's getting his big fight with Vader. He's got his arm chopped off. Blaster bolts going everywhere. Stormtroopers crawling out of every door. Mm-hmm. It's a thrill a minute, okay? Yep. And during this whole time, you've got this dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun music going on. But then occasionally you'll hear, like, woven into a dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-d
because you set that no different than a bird calling from the sky in mouse guard okay, I mean, so fair you enough. can use light light motifs in the same way it's not as easy. You have to prepare for them. Well, so I, I submit to you that's not a leitmotif because that's because a leitmotif is something that specifically happens in music. What you're talking about is a calling card, which is I'm just taking the music down back to the calling. Yes. card. I'm bringing it around. So calling cards are something I've I've absolutely always loved. And they're basically the the tangible versions of leitmotifs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um Someone like if you're if you're a Mega Man fan like I am, um, Proto Man's whistle that. Mm-hmm. Is going to be something that instantly you're like, oh, here comes Proto Man, you know, mm-hmm. the moment you hear it. Um, if you're watching Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. uh, listen to Pot on Fane's whistle. Anytime he's on screen, either he or the background music goes. Yeah. Um, and you'll and you'll know that he's there, even if he's not physically in the scene. You know, he's you'll around. hear the music doing that, and that's that's his, his little influence. Theme, right? Uh, the ring wraiths in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Like regardless of what's going on, you hear the screech of a ring wraith off in the distance, and you're like, "Oh, danger is close." Right. Music kicks in. Everything changes because yes. now it's dangerous. Yes. The, it is another way to say you have been found. So you can do things like that. But and and those are great. Those are great sound cues. Like mm-hmm. those are those are amazing, and those are very available to you as as, as storytellers. One hundred percent. Um, but you can also do this with story elements. Mm-hmm. Okay, is leave calling cards to express themes. Mm-hmm. So you had some really brilliant ones. Unfortunately, I was not around for their inception in the group. But that almost kind of played cool because my character didn't know about them at all either. So everyone else was freaking out whenever they saw a mirror mm-hmm. in your game. Yep. And my character, neither my, neither the player nor the character had much context. So I was just like, "What? It's a mirror!" And everybody else was like, "Uh, smash, smash, destroy, kill." So yeah. tell us, tell us a little bit about so that. So early in my game, uh, early in my D and D super campaign, um, I had a point where I was, uh, I made that. Uh, the uh, the BBEG, our, uh, our primary god villain who was in this one, was using mirrors as a way to effectively start turning people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, within the universe, since they couldn't make an, a direct attachment to it yet, they hadn't had enough followers and got enough connectivity to it, they were effectively having these mirrors be gateways that they could not only communicate with their dedicated followers, but also kind of do little hypnotisms and things like that to yep. others to to stroke them to her side. So they had a bunch of dwarves make a bunch of magical mirrors in a specific area and then cart them into the world. Mm-hmm. And so when the group found out about these mirrors, they eventually ran into some of the dwarves and found a giant cart of them mm-hmm. and instantly knew holy crap, these are the things that are changed. Because every one of the people who have been affected by this have had one of these. Crap, crap, let's get rid of all of these yep. right now. Yep. And then any time one of those mirrors showed up, and sometimes even when any mirror showed up. Literally your penultimate session Yeah. Uh, was, it was my, my character and uh, uh, our friend, our friend Trevor's character, uh, and he's like the most even-keeled person in the group, right? Very much so. Um, Quiet, just unassuming, you know. Quiet and very deliberate mm-hmm. in, in his actions. Uh, and walk into a room and he sees these two mirrors on the thing and just instantly smashes them. Yep. You know, my character's just like, okay, that was a normal response. 
cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, those are expensive and often coveted. I can't believe you just did that. Cool. Well, sure you had your reasons. But it carried for 10 years. Yeah. I, and yeah. to this day, to this day, even they have told me, don't you effing do that in another game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, not even the same universe. They don't want to deal with mirrors anymore. Now, then I did something similar in my game. Mm-hmm. Uh, where and we talked about the Poppy King. Yep. So one of the things I decided to do was anytime the Poppy King's influence was uh, was felt particularly strongly in an area, um, I had poppies growing up all you around did. the area. Even if it was like a weird place for them to grow, like in the middle of a bunch of rail tracks. Um, and uh, I didn't really have like rules for how that happened or anything like that. There was no necessarily consistency. It was just like if I really wanted to point out to you guys that the that that, that the, there was an essence of madness in the area, there was a bunch of poppies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to the point where like just the sight of little red flowers, man, had you guys just on edge. Um, and I it that that almost got me in some trouble because I think. And when you guys were in a completely different city, long after that plot had been resolved, months after, mm-hmm. um, you guys saw like there was there was some poppies that were sitting in a flower pot or something like mm-hmm. that. And you were like, <gasps> "No, destroy, <laughs> burn, burn with fire, burn it! Oh God, oh God, kill it from orbit!" Yeah, and that's it's those types of things that are the calling cards yes. of an event. Yes, so that your players are redrawn to that moment. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of PTSD it's, yeah, on your players. It's giving them directly a PTSD trigger essentially yeah. to uh to, 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 to hang on to. And yeah. then and then you can just drop that calling card whenever you want. And so, instantly it is a solid reminder of that theme, of that event. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's really great atmosphere. Yeah, that it is. That it is. So do you want to hit questions? Yeah, let's let's do some questions here. We've got some good ones. All right, so uh, Nevim asks, uh, does the theme, uh, must the theme be felt in every detail of the game, or is it more like salt to enhance the game? No, I think that's, I think it's a perfect metaphor for it. I mean, I, I think, like, I don't think theme is a mission-critical thing, in much the same way that seasoning is not mission-critical to food, right? And I say that in that you can just grill up a chicken breast. Mm-hmm. Literally, chicken plus heat. Okay, is it gonna be? Is it gonna be you know edible and nutritious? Sure. Is it going to be any sort of an enjoyable, flavorful experience for you? Not at all. Is it going to be greatly enhanced by having like rosemary and thyme and olive oil and all that jazz added to it? Absolutely. So I, I think it's a great metaphor to describe it as salt to enhance the game, like. I think that's a good way of putting it. What I will say in a little bit of a counterpoint is if you have something that's running for a while and you want to engage your players, I think as the storyteller, you need to keep it in mind. It needs to be a sticky note or a thing as you're moving forward with your story. It doesn't mean that the players have to feel every step of it or or even... Um, feel the weight of it in every single episode, but it should be there in your mindset as you go forward just to help you keep things consistent so that you don't get off track. Mm-hmm. So do the players need to feel it in, in as a detail in every session? No. Um, is it there to enhance? Very much so. But it's also helpful because with it, 
you are pairing it with everything else you're doing. Yes. So yes. like salt, which is a general a general flavor add, I think salt is more of 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 adding a bit of uh, tone to your game. Whereas this is is bringing it all together. This brings an entire meal together. There's a uh, there's a, a color theory in in miniature painting mm -hmm. where uh, you take a base color mm -hmm. and you will mix that base color only in minute amounts mm -hmm. into literally every other color. Yep. Um, and so if you're doing with like orange, even if you're painting with purple, you mix just a little bit of that orange into it because what it does is it takes that purple and moves it slightly towards your yep. orange. Yep. And that way. Your eye may not be able to pick it out and go like, oh, that's purple with orange in it, but it will draw it towards that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And because of that, your color palette will have a lot more cohesion to it. And I think this is exactly the style yep. of storytelling that does that. Yep, I agree. I agree. That is that is the feel of theme. Um, how to incorporate theme in games? We kind of talked about that. Yeah, yeah. I think the easiest thing that you can do is uh, if you were incorporating your theme, use calling cards. Mm -hmm. Use uh, use callbacks uh, to to events, but also just keeping it in mind will change the way you're telling your story because you start setting rules for yourself as a storyteller, which then defines those rules of how the story is moving. Exactly, and that's that's the next question. How do you keep that in the long run? Then yeah, it's um, main maintenance. It's hard. It is. It is, uh, and I, I think it's worth it's worth saying basically like you know wherever you've got your notes, just put a little note of like what your theme is. If mm -hmm. you if you can identify it, if you can spell it out in words, even if it's just a just a, a small little jot, you know, to kind of remind you that you have a theme or yeah. that you want to have a theme, um, just have that in mind, and then when you if you're ever making like a big move in your plot, um, especially if it's a real hard move that you really want to shock your characters with or something mm -hmm. like that, um, just make sure you look at your theme and go, is this consistent with that? Yeah. Or am I doing something off the wall? And if it is off the wall, is it off the wall on purpose mm -hmm. or am I just writing weird stuff? Yeah. Are you are you breaking the th are you breaking something core about the theme to reestablish it? Yes. You know, if if your theme is home is where the heart is. Do you have to move where home is so that it's recognized again? Yes. That kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, have you ever encountered a situation where you've loved a game theme, but you couldn't play out the theme? For example, loving the theme Slasher, but unable to play it uh, to render the theme properly. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. There is one theme that is probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, for deeply personal reasons, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I will never, ever, ever, ever be able to run this at the table because uh, it it may just be completely unenjoyable, but I know at very least it is completely unenjoyable to the players I play with. Yes. Uh, and that is finding light in a dead world. Yeah. It is essentially the theme of Dark Souls, mm -hmm. where you have this dead world that's long past its prime that's 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 you know you have to go kill the gods and usher in an age of dark after you snuff out the eternal flame or reignite it so watch it gutter all over again in an endless cycle you know it's it's a very dark grim theme but along the way you make these little connections you meet these other people and you realize there are still scraps of humanity in the world there's still there's still 
oases of goodness and light that are left in the darkness. And a lot of the NPC stories in, in Dark Souls are about finding those little connections. Mm-hmm. And they, they act as a stark contrast to the grimness and nihilism of the rest of the world. Yeah. And I would love to tell a story like that. Mm-hmm. But it would be darn near impossible, I think, without some really heavy railroading to express to the players. And I don't think it would be fun for anybody. I think you could do it without railroading. I think it would be a lot of heavy-handed setting yeah um to try and make sure that everybody was on the same page Mm -hmm. it is it is hard to sell nothing yeah it is hard to sell nothing and make it palatable yeah because the whole point is is that most people there are hopeless right i think like the only the only reason merkborg works is because it is so far over the edge that it becomes fun again it's absurd yeah it's already pushed the absurdity it, level, and is you've accepted that it, you're playing an absurd game. Absurd levels of darkness, and you just lean into it and have fun. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, I have a love-hate relationship with themes of oppression. Okay. Like, and and triumph over it. But the concern that I always have in those themes is who is being oppressed then? Like, what's... When do you, when does the oppressed become the oppressor? Mm -hmm. You know, when it's, when you recognize that it's the regime and the regime is made of people and some of those people are just doing a job. Yeah. It's not an individual doing it, but in most cases it is individuals, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is hard. Yeah. Because it's not something, especially right now, anybody really wants to even think about. It sucks. It sucks. Mm -hmm. But it it's a story flavor that is wonderful and mm-hmm. strong and compelling and you're interested in hearing it be told you just don't want to be physically involved with it yeah exactly and that's a lot of investment yep yep um i'm gonna grab uh nox's question out of live chat excellent quick, excellent yes. um because okay. i, I want to answer this one what is the line between genre and theme horror theme genre or both and i'm, I'm gonna do a real quick here Genre is a is a category of literature based on a distinctive style, whereas theme is a broad idea, message, or moral of the story. Right. So horror isn't necessarily uh, is is an example of a theme, but it is horror to a horror within the context of morality, not mm. within the context of a genre. Yeah, you can. It's weird because so theme theme kind of runs through the story. Genre is the story. So like yes, it, I I have horror themes in my story, but it's still a very heroic story. Yeah. Scary stuff happens from time to time, but it's not a horror story. Right, right. So the genre is still heroic adventure. Right, with themes of horror in it. Correct. That is that 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 is. And if you're doing a theme. Of horror, horror to what end? Right. What right, is right, it? Right, right. What is it expressing? Yeah. More, more accurately, the theme would be something like madness destroys everything it touches, which is exactly how you did your Poppy King thing. Yep. Um, but it's but it sits within your overall theme of power corrupts. Power corrupts. Yep. You know whether it's the Poppy King's 
power mm-hmm. or the empire's power or whomever. Yep. Um, and then within that, you have your sub themes that sit within the, those mm-hmm. kind of pieces. So I, I hope that helps answer that to a little better degree. Um, Violent Menace asked the question who uh, is, uh, how do you select themes? I think for me, um, it is, it's hard to recognize what my theme is until I'm done with my idea for what the story is and then see how my players attach to it. Because I can put out there the setting and the overall generality of the story, mm-hmm. but until those players touch the setting, I may not exactly know the theme's direction. Right? Yeah, I think that's fair. I will have a general feeling of, of what the what's happening in the world, but I have to see how my players want to interact with that. Once they're interacting with it, I can accept a theme. Yeah, the, I think that that's really important because... Uh... Ultimately, it is your players that you're there for, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're going to be the ones telling the story or, or you know, interacting with the story. And if you're not, you know, if they want to tell a different story than you do, you're you're going to have a rough time. Like, you know, you you can't really force them to to adhere to your theme, right? Correct. So, it's difficult to really have that theme in pocket and ready to go. Um, in, in a lot of developed ways, I suppose. Yeah, generalities and in, in like thesis statement ways of what your story is sure. is one thing, but that doesn't necessarily it doesn't always direct the theme. It can, without a doubt, especially in pre-generated worlds. Like Shadowrun is a pre-generated world. Mm-hmm. Everybody is on the same page about what the world is, so it's easy for them to immediately start working within that world framework and having an attitude toward things. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, you can then say, okay. In this world of punk, mm-hmm. how am I, what is my punk theme? Yeah. Is it righteousness of the punks? Is it liberation? You know, am I going to do that? Is it hope? Mm-hmm. Is it tragedy? Yeah. You know, is my story, no matter what you do, tragedy will befall you. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my story. It's not a great story, you know, as far as like wondrous or, or hopeful, but that can be a hell of a compelling story within Shadowrun. Sure. You know, but you have to look at your players to see if that is going to fly. Yeah, yeah. With the way they've written their characters and how they're playing. And then you can weave it in and flavor your entire story based upon that. And I think that steps into the second question of how do you come up with a theme in a campaign where you haven't consciously selected one already? Again, start with a thesis statement of what you're what the story is coming over as that's not your theme necessarily mm-hmm. but it, what's what's going to anchor the story underneath that is the spoke of theme because that's how it's going to is going to express the feelings of the story the emotional connections yeah i I, th- I think what's important there though is to find what has worked in your story so far because mm-hmm. kind of like I, I said at the beginning of this discussion like it's the emotional underpinning yeah it is the it is the thing that connects emotionally with the humanity in your players mm-hmm. right um they're not there for the rules. Mm-mm. They're not there to move their pawns around on the thing. They're there to feel something about your story, you know. At least as far the, as our podcast goes, those those are the moments that are going to have that are going to have the most impact for them. You know, yeah. when they feel frightened, when they feel proud, when they feel sad, when they feel, right. you know, whatever. 
Um, so I think what you should do, if you, if you haven't identified your theme already, look at what, what has happened so far in your campaign. Mm-hmm. What emotional touchstones have worked so far? And when did they happen? When did they happen and with whom? Yeah. Um, and I think you'll start seeing your themes happening. You know, if it happens every single time they rescue someone in distress, mm-hmm. well, then maybe it is, you know, it's a theme of help is on the way, you know, or something yeah. like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to put it into words, but like maybe that's the style, style of story they're looking for. And maybe you should lean into that theme of your characters as rescuers. Mm-hmm. And maybe then you can flip that on its edge. Um, at a later point in your story, and they need to be rescued, and somebody else that they have helped in the past comes and rescues them instead, because yep. help begets help, and that's that's the theme of your story now. Yep, yep. You know? Yep. And I, I love that. That was a great workshop, you know, that. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Um, Hulavu asks, which storytelling properties, movies, video games, TTRPG settings, do you uh, do a great job of setting the theme up front? What are some of the things you've learned from these examples? Um, there is a lot that set the theme up front, which I think is great. I, I apologize if the, if any of the sounds that you're hearing are coming through the microphone right now, but uh, we're, we're we have a lot of stomping going around upstairs, so I'm not too sure if the cats got out of where they shouldn't have been. Mm. Uh, but anyways, there are a lot of great um, a lot of great media examples. I'll start with those. Like one of my favorite is Arcane sets its theme almost immediately. Uh, if you haven't seen the animation, I highly recommend it. Um, but it it basically show it, it showcases that there are two worlds effectively. There's this beautiful upper city, and there's this d- d- what would appear to be a kind of a downtrodden slum of a lower city. But they're both cities. Mm-hmm. They both have political elements. They both have defense. They and in the same regard, they both have people who are who are shadily getting along. Even though they're 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 practically mirrors of each other in mm-hmm. many ways, mm-hmm. and so really, what it what the story is telling you is that station doesn't make it any different. No matter how you look at the players, no matter how many times you cross that line between those worlds, they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone is doing the same thing, and that's the overarching theme. It's not the story that's being told. The people within it are telling their own story, but the theme is constantly we are running into the same problems in both places. Yep. Yep. And it's it's amazing because it, it's basically like Les Mis happening <laughs> in a lot of ways. You've uh-huh. got people wanting to revolt who tried once before and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. You know, doing it again harder and the, the trials and tribulations that recur within that, within those worlds, both the people from the upper world coming down to them and seeing them differently and then realizing they are no different. Yep. Yep. You know, that they're just as, just as corrupt, just as weak, just as loving, mm-hmm. just as compassionate. And you see it. And I, I love that, that it's, it's a perfectly g- good encapsulation of a solid retelling of a theme, no matter how you look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think you had one. I think one of the themes that uh, that I've really, really enjoyed, because uh, I'm on a huge Star Trek kick, is mm-hmm. going to be it's just going to be Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, in in every single property, mm-hmm. you can see that theme of optimism 
of of um I am I'm trying to think of how to put it into words, but just that it consistently aims for a better future and believes that it is achievable. Yes. You know, um, time and time again, you see situations where in any other property, the heroes would go in guns blazing because mm-hmm. that's because that's what their enemies are doing. Mm-hmm. Their enemies are, are murderous, you know, horrific, unreasonable you know, jerks who mm-hmm. are who are just killing their way across across the field, and you would think that you would respond in kind, like, "Oh, we can't talk sense into these people." Time for guns, and time and time again in Star Trek properties, you see them go, "No, we're going to use diplomacy because we're better than that." Right. We don't we don't kill away our problems. That's we're Starfleet. That's not what we do. Right. You know, so we're going to look for the diplomatic solution. We're going to look for the middle ground. We're going to believe that a brighter future and a happier ending is not only possible, but is within our grasp. Yeah. You know, um, and that trying for it in and of itself is noble. Yeah. Whether you succeed or not. Yeah. I think I think Enterprise. um the uh star trek the next generation enterprise Mm -hmm. um you know space the final frontier even though it had the same story as far as everyone was concerned they're exploring space right Mm -hmm. almost consistently through the whole thing for me it was very clear that it was a story about the rebirth or the hope that at every turn we can do better not Mm -hmm. The royal we of humanity, but the royal we of the universe. Yeah, yeah. That we as as entities mm-hmm. can do this better. We don't have to. We don't have to move backwards. We can move forward. Mm-hmm. We can move beyond directives. We can move beyond anger. We can move beyond hate, prejudice. And, yeah, yeah. And and we can define ourselves better at every turn. We can move to better yeah exactly and, uh, and i i liked that that was obvious as a theme mm-hmm. from every step um likewise another good one that does it uh, uh is star wars you know stepping into every star wars property almost from the very moment that the first chords of music hit you know what's going on you know <laughs> the you know the feeling i don't know what all, what's all this wee stuff they just want the rabbit <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on in Star Wars most of the time. But the music tells you the theme. Is it oppressive? Like, are, is the first thing that happens someone getting getting oppressed by the, by you know, is it a small ship getting shot down oh, by yeah. a store destroyer? Hey, kudos hey, to John Williams. Yeah. yeah. But he helped set that, and mm-hmm. they set that in the universe. So without a doubt, right at the beginning, you're sold on where we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what this story is going to be like from the moment mm-hmm. that you start. Even, you know, um, Solo as a story, as an, it's kind of an independent story of things, the opening of that told the entire story of what his life was mm-hmm. and what it was going to be. It was going to be about him breaking free of the bonds constantly. It was about finding freedom even when it's not free. Yeah, Every yeah. freedom has a cost, mm-hmm. you know, and him recognizing that at every turn. Mm-hmm. That was the story, and it was told right from the beginning. Okay. So good storytelling, and it's hard, tells that story, but in, in tabletop, you have to see it 
and then you recognize it and you retell it again and again and again. Yep. And just get it, get crank it to 11 by the end. Yep. Yep. So. All right. So next week's topic. Next week's topic. Next week's topic. We're going to a system spotlight. It's the second Wednesday of the month. So we are doing Dresden Files Accelerated, uh, which is, uses the Fate Accelerated system. Now, Dresden is a book series. Yes. Dresden. And comic and comic? Uh, there, there there, have been some comics, yeah. Okay. And um, and uh, any animations? I can't... I don't know if Dresden ever made it into any kind of... There was a TV show oh. on Sci-Fi Channel that went one season. Okay. That was... Uh, but it, it did. It happened. It, it was. It was a. It was a decent TV show. If you'd never read the books, if you had read the books, um, oh boy. Okay. We won't talk about the TV show. Okay. Um, however, one of my all-time favorite book series uh, by Jim Butcher, mm-hmm. and it is an urban fantasy setting. Um, Harry Dresden is the only wizard in the Yellow Pages listed in Chicago. That's hilarious. Um, and so it is uses the Fate Accelerated system, and I'm really excited to dig into it. It'll be so, fun, I'm sure. All right. You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, got a lot of great new members. Um, uh, hit us up there. We'll show, show us some questions and uh, talk about your campaigns with the other storytellers that are there. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our story to- website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who support us every month. And we always ask for more support if we can get it. It helps us every single time. So I'd like to name off our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean. We appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. And our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.pancamp.com uh, or on YouTube music. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for thank loving you, and supporting you. us. All of our friends have sat at our tables to give these great stories to share with you over these years. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.